I'm going to carry on in our preaching series on worship, which we started, I don't know, four or five weeks ago now. And um, the title of my preach, if we were to have a title, is from 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, when the whole church gathers. And so we've been speaking about worship, and, and I started in the first week by preaching the fact that we were created for worship. Like every human being is created to worship, and we end up either worshiping something that's false, or we end up worshiping the true God, the, the one who created us for the worship. Um, but the point is, is that worship is profoundly important. In fact, one author by the name of Bruce Leafblad said this, Leafblad, it's an unfortunate surname, but it's what his mother gave him, okay? If God is to be first in our lives and first in our churches, then worship must come ahead of everything else we do. And what he means by that is worship must come ahead of evangelism. Worship must come ahead of serving the poor, which are profoundly important and good things that we should be doing. Like, like nobody suggests for a moment we shouldn't be evangelizing, but it has to start at the place of worship and then flow into that. Worship must come ahead of our work. Worship must come ahead of our play and everything else. He said, worship is that process by which we put the slides on. There we go. <laughs> worship is that process in which we make God first in our lives. The worship comes first, then the work, and then the works follow. A.W. Tozer, who's a great revivalist preacher, said, A local church exists to do corporately what each Christian believer should be doing individually, and that is to worship God. And it's true. We should be individually worshiping God. The, the wonder of worship is that it's something we can do any place and any time. You can be driving down Sheikh Zayed Road, and you can be... <laughs> I can actually remember driving, in, when I wasn't driving, there was another guy driving us in India. It's the first time we'd driven there, and um, he would just break onto the oncoming traffic and just go straight for cars. It was like he was playing chicken. And that was when I learned how to worship in a car. Truly, it was amazing grace, how sweet the sound. that saved a wretch like me as I was singing in the car like this, thinking soon I'll be home face to face with the Lord, it seemed. Um, but you can be singing wherever. You can be having a bad dad work and you can sneak off into the toilet and have a worship session in the cubicle as you just begin to cry out to God and lift up His name and try and change the atmosphere of things around you. I can remember some distinct moments in our lives where we went through hard things where I went into the lounge and I just cranked on some worship music and began to praise God and wanted to shift the atmosphere. And I can do that on my own, any place, any time. But there's also a call in Scripture for us to gather together to worship. I don't know how many of you remember the dark, dark days of March 2020 when that evil disease came upon us and uh, aliens invaded Dubai. I don't know if you remember those guys in the full hazmat suits like that would walk along the streets, spraying the streets. Do you remember? They'd go like this. I don't know what they were thinking. Like, we're going to lick the streets? I don't know. Why are you cleaning the streets? Like, what's going on here? How are you going to get COVID from a road? Anyway, they were doing it, and, and it became worse. They locked us down in our, in our houses. And so it meant not only could we not go out and do A, B, and C, we couldn't, we couldn't gather as a church to worship. And so that was like late March, and it went all the way through April, all the way through May, all the way through June, and I was, I was going crazy. Man, I, like, I just don't believe anybody should tell the church not to meet. And so as soon as they said people can go to the malls, I thought, no, 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 no. You can't go to the malls and not go to church. There's nothing wrong here. So we swung open our doors. Well, actually, we creaked them open like this, and we snuck people in as many as we could, and then we locked the doors behind them. We actually had on the door, if you remember, a little, a little QR code. And if you arrived after the lock time, 
you had to scan. It says, if you're late, scan yeah. And you scanned the code, and, it's, and it was me on a video saying, you're late, go home, come earlier the next time. And we love you, but you're late, go home, come earlier the next time. And so people did. They would be driving home, tears down their face. They didn't make it to church on time. The wonderful thing was people learned how to make it on time, which was amazing. But the, the first day we got together again after the lockdown, it was like, like the 3rd of July or something like that. We came into this hall, and I don't know, maybe we were only about this number of people, maybe a little bit more than this because we were socially spaced. Remember, social distancing and all that stuff. <coughs> and, um, but, but what was amazing about this is we came in and we began to worship. It was like my heart just wanted to burst. Like, like we were together again worshiping God. And I just, I remember tears running down my face as we worshiped God the day. Such a sense of God's presence. I think almost everybody had tears in their eyes of just being together again after all these months of being separated. And it was such a reminder of the power of worshiping together. We'd been worshiping for months in families, in our homes, and it was okay, but it was nothing like what happens when we worship together. And I think the reason why it's so different when we are together like this is there are other elements that ought to be included in worship. There's a Greek word called liturgia. I think I'm pronouncing it right. And it actually, it's not a Bible word per se. It's a word that means like public acts of service or your service that you deliver um, in, a, in a public setting. And it's the word that we get our English word liturgy from. And it basically sets out the order of service. How, what, what is included in a, in a time, a worship service when we gather together. And so maybe you, I don't know what your background is. Maybe you came from a high order church, like an Anglican church or something like that. And then you would know they would have a liturgy. In fact, you might even have the liturgy printed out and given to you. But um, I found this amazing webpage. I mean, you've got to check it out. It's called um, liturgytools.net. It's become one of my favorite now. And no, I'm only joking. But it's a, yeah, you see that this, this is a planner for the community. That's, that's only a fraction of the actual liturgy form. And it lays out in minute detail every single step along the way. And I had a bit of a chuckle at this. And I must admit, I was a little bit scared as well. The idea of having to kind of have this type of order freaks my brain out a bit. But there's a reason why they do this. There's a reason why churches put a liturgy in place. It's because there are some aspects that the shared activities, I suppose you could call it, that we need to participate in, and they don't want them forgotten. They don't want them left out. And in some ways, every church, even our church, has a form of liturgy. There's a way that we do things, and I'll get to how we kind of structure our meetings a little bit later. But you can go to the, the Scriptures Scriptures like Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 46, or 1 Corinthians, and there's a chunk of Scripture from chapter 11 all the way through to chapter 14. And uh, I would read that to you, but it would take us all night, and then I wouldn't be able to share anything about it. So don't shake your head, Shobi. I can read it to you, okay? <laughs> I am reading it. And now Shobi said, oh, I'm definitely reading it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> when you go to Sri Lanka and you ask the guys to read in Tamil, there must be 53 words in Tamil for every one English word. I don't know how it takes so long Seriously, like there's a scripture like Jesus wept and the guy will read it and it'll take like five minutes. Like, what is going on here? What are you saying? What's, what is even going on? Um, but I'm not going to be able to read that whole, all four chapters. And so maybe, maybe there's just a chance you would go afterwards or through this week and, and read those chapters. I'm going to pick out pieces of them and just show us a little bit about um, what, uh, what Paul is teaching about a worship service. So he kicks off in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and he's talking about this year, the Lord's Supper. He's talking about how the church, when they gather, ought to conduct themselves 
when they come to the table of the Lord. And in those days, as I did my research, it seems that the church met initially mostly on a Sunday night. And uh, what they would do is they would actually have a meal together because it was the end of the day. They would share a meal. And then as part of the meal, they would break bread and remember Christ. And so I guess, I don't know when, maybe the beginning of the meal, the, the elders would say, hey, guys, it's great to have you here, fellow Jerusalem people or whatever it was. And says, um, as the Lord taught us, and then break the bread and pass around. Everyone took a piece and passed the cup around. And that's kind of how it would happen. happen and then they would eat the meal together and have the various aspects of the, of the rest of it. Sounds pretty cool, actually, hey? Um, but the Corinthians were messing it up a bit. Some guys were arriving early. They were downing all the wine. They obviously didn't have little cups like us. They obviously had big cups like this. And so Paul was saying, man, you're getting this all wrong. You're misunderstanding the whole point of breaking bread together. Um, the, the whole point of gathering together is that, that this communion is a part of your worship of God. It opens our hearts up to remembering what it is that God has done through His Son and uh, what Jesus has um, accomplished for us at the cross. Paul then shifts gear and he does the whole, anyway, he shifts into chapter 12 and he speaks to us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit works all the time. We know the Holy Spirit was working when the whole earth was created. Um, the Holy Spirit works in our lives when we're in the office. He works in our lives when we're with a friend sharing the gospel with him. And then Paul says, and there's a way that he works when he's with us. When we are gathered together as a church, there's the way the Holy Spirit works. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit <coughs> comes and he, and he gives gifts. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit's working, walking around. What is this thing? I mean, how do you throw? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Women wear complicated things, man. Anyway, <coughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, and so the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit goes, no, not him. <laughs> the Holy Spirit goes like this and puts something on Jerry and says, Jerry, this is not for you. This is for somebody else. And so gifts of healing are put on Jerry for somebody else. Or a word of wisdom is put on Seha like this for somebody else. And so in that way, the Holy Spirit comes and gives gifts to people. Um, not for us. They're not the kind of gifts we open them and keep them for ourselves. They're literally the opposite of that. They're gifts that come to us that we might be a vehicle that God uses to minister to somebody else. As, uh, as Paul says, these things happen for the common good. I love the way Eugene Peterson translated in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, when he says, each person is given something to do. That's cool. Everybody here, you're given something to do. That shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed up by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. And I'm not going to teach today on the gifts of the Spirit. I, I, would, I mean, I'd love to do that at some point, but it's, it's you know, too big a teaching to do tonight. But I, I'm making the point that they are a part of our worship. They are part of what it means for the church to come together and worship. And often those gifts will manifest during worship. Somebody will have a prophetic word and they'll bring it to one of the elders and it'll be during the worship time that those gifts are released. Uh, a word of knowledge about a healing that God wants to bring or a word of knowledge about somebody that's suffering, whatever, some form of fear or anxiety or, or you know, you've got a family member that's this, that how could you know that except the Holy Spirit brings it? It's often during our worship that God drops those things into our heart, and it's in that moment often that the elders must create space for that gift to be released. It's a part of our worship. And then Paul moves on in that same chapter and speaks to us about the fact that, like, don't get too proud. Don't get too proud about the gift that God has put upon you. And so 
Jerry's got the gifts of healing on her at that moment, and she's like, whoa, I'm like, look who I am. I'm amazing at this moment, or I get to preach in church, and so I walk around going, oh, did you see, like, everyone was listening to me or whatever. I'm like, no, no, no. Paul says, like, be careful. He says, this is a body, and every part of the body is doing what they need to be doing, and only makes sense when we're all together as a whole. And so he's warning us. He's warning about remaining humble, not becoming proud when the Holy Spirit starts to use us. I think I think that's what was happening in Corinth, is, is many of the believers were becoming so proud that they, were, they, were, they didn't care about other people. They were just wanted their gift to be seen. But I think there's a warning on the other side as well, that sometimes we think we have such a little bit to contribute that we contribute nothing. And God's reminding us that your thing that you think is unimportant is actually important. Just do whatever it is that God has given you to do. It's like with giving of money. Like, like we give what God tells us to give. You don't have to give more. You don't give less. You don't give what anybody else tells you to give. You give what the Lord tells you to give. And you are free and without compulsion to do that. In the same way, when the Spirit of God speaks to you about going to somebody else and sharing a word with them, or um, the person that's sitting in the back that, no, that nobody else is speaking to, just go and have a conversation with them, or um, go help clean out the toilets because there's no one, no one has come today to help with that thing, or whatever it is, or if... I would come and ask you to preach, and you go, well, that is the Holy Spirit asking, then, then you prepare yourself and you, and you give yourself to doing that task, whatever it is that the Lord asks you to do. One of the things that I, my sense is that God, um, the, the goal of the gifts being given is that God would minister to His people through His people. That's what He wants to do. God wants to minister to His people through His people. Of course, He can do it supernaturally while we're worshiping. Somebody can be praising God and like, fire can come upon you, you can be healed. But most often what God wants to do is He wants to work through somebody, through the laying out of hands and praying for another person that that person might be healed or delivered or whatever it is. And so we don't limit God. God, you do whatever you want to do, of course. But equally, equally, we don't want to block God from working through us into the body as well. I just want to say one thing. I'm going to jump to the, the end of chapter 13. And there's a passage in there that is a favorite of cessationists. And so... I don't know if you guys know what a cessationist is. It comes from the word cease. And what cessationists believe is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. And I think they do, they do a little bit of a butcher job on, for me, what is the obvious reading of that passage of Scripture at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. And basically what Paul says is that when the perfect comes, these other things pass away. Things like prophecy pass away. And, uh, and what, they, what they imply is that the perfect that's coming is the Word of God. And friends, if you know anything about me, you know the high value I place upon the Word of God. I do think that, um, that there is nothing that can come into the church that should ever um, cut against the Word of God or, or, or something that is different to the, what the Word of God allows because then like, there's no limits. Like, there can be no revelation, no pastor, no prophet. Nobody can bring anything that is contrary to the Scriptures. This is our, our, our broad guideline. But within that, that beautiful broad landscape, the Holy Spirit can do so many individual and personal things in people's lives. And so the cessationists, I think, do these, these kind of interpretive gymnastics to come to like a really sucky conclusion, actually, that God no longer ministers to His people through His Holy Spirit. And I mean, I just think that's crazy. After all, when did the Word of God come? Is it when the letters were written, when most of the people that were saved didn't even have access to these letters? Was it in 450 A.D. when the, the Council of Nicaea put the, the word, the, uh, uh, 
Chelsea don't know whoever it was, put the word, um, the, the canon of scripture together, but then so few people actually had access to the scriptures. Was it in 1455 when the first printing press ran off um, the Bible for the first time so that it now began to be um, accessed by people all over the place? What happened in so many communities when there was only one Bible? How did the Spirit of God minister to people? And so I think that's just a, it's a crazy, nonsensical claim. My obvious reading, and I think most people's obvious reading of that passage, is that when the perfect comes, speaking of when Christ returns, and we are glorified in that part of our salvation as well. In the rest of chapter 13, there's kind of this, it almost feels like a diversion. Paul's been speaking about communion in the church, and then about spiritual gifts in the church, about how the body ministers, and then he jumps onto this, this silly thing called love. Do you know what I mean? Like this passage of scripture that's made famous because it's used and read in probably every second. Did you have it at your wedding? You didn't, eh? I don't even know if you're officially married then if you didn't read 1 Corinthians 13. We might have to just check that. But like every wedding, 1 Corinthians 13 is read, and it's, it's really for the husbands. Love keeps no record of wrong. It's for the wives, actually. Um, <laughs> and so Paul goes on and describes what love is. And, uh, and if, it's not a diversion, of course. It's not a detour. Because 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and 14, if they're going to stand at all, they have to stand upon the foundation of love. And what Paul is saying to us is that our our motivation for worship, for when we gather to worship, has to be love. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why a person might attend church. Maybe your mom is forcing you to go to church. Uh, if in some of your cases, that might be true. I, I can remember Ethan, my son. He's not here, so I can tell stories about him. But when he, <laughs> he took me off Instagram the one day because I commented on something. like, you, I know, how wrong is that, hey? He just blocked me like this. So I said, no problem, boy. I'm blocking you from your allowance until I'm back on Instagram again. I was back on Instagram like this. And so, you know, maybe parents can say, well, you're not getting allowance unless you come into church or whatever it is. Or maybe you come from quite a legalistic background and you feel like you, you, you just, you have to come to church. There's all sorts of reasons that we can come. And sometimes it's okay for those reasons to fill in the gap. There might be a season of our lives where we, we're just, like, we're not, firing for God. And, and just the habit of going to church is important. It keeps us in the space where God is present. But the reason why we go to church over the expanse of our life has got to be, Paul says, because of love. Love, first of all, for God and love for God's people as well. And uh, so when we come, says Paul, don't, don't waste your time. If, you, if your motive is anything other than love, you're wasting your time. In fact, Paul says, it may even be worse than wasting your time. You may be doing more harm in um, 1 Corinthians 11:17. he says, when he speaks about the way they're doing communion, he says, in the following matters, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. That's not cool, hey? And so Paul's saying, uh, our motivation for when we come together to worship must be love. And then finally Paul gets into 1 Corinthians 14. And in this he speaks about what a worship meeting might look like on a Sunday in a local church. And he uses the example of the church in Corinth, both the good things and the bad things, to teach us today as Will of Life Church in Dubai in 2024 what our meetings might look like. And it's, it's interesting that none of the authors of the New Testament, none of the, the, the apostles um, who write the scriptures or Luke, um, nor Jesus himself give any explicit instructions on what like an order of service should be or even what our style of worship should be like. And I think there's a few reasons for that. One is 
the gospel is meant to go to all nations. So we don't, it's, it's not a gospel that's going to just go to the Jewish people. And there may be a certain style of worship that all the Jewish people kind of have in common. Yeah, da, 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 da. Is that Jewish? I don't know. Whatever that is. But like, like oh, that's how we're all going to worship together. No, no. Like, because the, the gospel is going to go to people that are going to come to know Christ in, the, in the, um, the, the bush in Africa. And I've been in villages like hundreds of kilometers away from cities where we've gathered in huts like this where they've been... There's no electricity, never mind a musical instrument. There may be a drum if you're lucky. But most of the time, it's just people clapping their hands, stomping their feet, and singing a cappella to God. And this most incredible worship rises to God. And God says, that is beautiful. And there's other places where we've got amazing instruments and amazing musicians, and our worship looks like this. And, it, and if we went to the Ukraine, and, and we have, and we, we've worshipped with the guys in U, Ukraine, it's, like, it's different again. And I go to India, and it's different again. Because the gospel... Um, the true worship is not defined. It just comes through the culture and to God. Remember, the whole point of worship is that it should flow from the heart. Yeah. Last week I spoke about the Samaritan woman, how she said to Jesus, remember that encounter at the well, and she said, so it's no longer going to be about mountains and temples. And Jesus said, no, no, now it's about the heart. And, and, uh, and I love the little interface. She promised, and Jesus just nods, like our promise. And that's what Jesus wants. And so there aren't rules about how we should do it. Are you allowed to have drums or not allowed to have drums? It doesn't say. Should you have instruments or should you not have instruments? It doesn't say. We can see plenty of cases where there were instruments and there were instances where there weren't instruments. There were these kinds of songs and those kinds of songs. And so it's left up to us to find what is a natural expression for us of our praise and our adoration to God. But there are two things that do come through in the Scripture. One is that we... And um, we are called to gather regularly in a place. And so despite what the government in Dubai says during COVID or any other time or any other government, there is a call on the church to gather together. And we see this in um, Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, when it says day by day they gathered in the temple courts, which was their large, larger gathering, and in their homes, and so which was a small, smaller gatherings that took place as well. And then in with the scripture I started off with in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when the whole church gathers together. And that's us. And we, we're supposed to gather regularly like that. Um, the second thing is that we gather with a purpose. We don't get to just do whatever we want. Like as long as we get together, then we can do, well, let's do a craft evening tonight. You know, or we're going to do ballroom dancing tonight or whatever it was. Or I don't know. Like, no, no, no. You're gathering for a specific purpose. And something of that becomes unpacked for us in Scripture so that at least we know the style may be different, the order may be different to, um, in different churches, but these elements ought to be in place. And so these shared activities are actually seen in a number of places in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is obviously the preaching from God's Word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And often in the New Testament, when it speaks about, in fact, in the Bible as a whole, when it speaks about prayer, it means both the spoken prayers, but also us singing as well. Think about all the Psalms, which when we read them, I think in our minds we read them like prayers. Hey, you know, where are you, um, God, or why don't you come rescue me? Listen to my prayers, please, God, I'm surrounded by enemies. But all of those were written as songs, and they would have been sung to God. And so praying and singing are one and the same thing often in Scripture. And then Paul goes on in um, 1 Corinthians 14, saying, When you come together, each one has a hymn, which is a song, obviously, a lesson, a teaching, a revelation, 
which might be like a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, a tongue or an interpretation of tongues. And then in Colossians and Ephesians, Paul uses these three things together and he speaks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And uh, he unpacks it a little bit more in Ephesians when he says, making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so you can see, I think, that singing is a significant part of what it means when we gather together for worship. It's not everything. There are other elements to it. But singing is a central part. If you go to the book of Revelation in chapter 7, I actually prayed it this morning when we were praying for the, the meetings this morning. I mean, just look around even tonight. We're, we're a smaller group, but there's so many nations that are present here. And it says in Revelation 7 that one day that we gather before the throne of God, people that cannot be counted, of every nation, tribe, and tongue who are worshiping the Lamb. And so it tells us, and the other place in Revelation, and if you go to the Old Testament, part of the ritual of worship in the temple was the singing of songs, that it is completely appropriate for us to come into a sacred space with song, and especially when the, the object of our praise is God Himself. And I think all of us agree that music has an incredible power to move us, to stir our souls. That's why it makes so much money around the world all the time for the stars. And, and we've got to, I guess, be careful about some of the things we listen to. Um, some of the rap music that goes on and things like that can have lyrics. Like it might be a cool tune, but the lyrics, if they suck, they suck. And they're sucking all the way into your heart and into your mind. And, and that's because music is powerful and it has a powerful effect upon us. And it's powerful for, for, for good, I suppose. It, it can be neutral, but it's powerful as a tool for worship as well. I always laugh when I would say to friends of mine and when I used to work in business and say, why don't you come um, to worship? And they'd say, oh, come to church with me. And they'd say, yeah, it's a bit weird, all that singing. And, and you guys, like, you lift your hands up and stuff like that. I, it's, not, it's not for me. And then I'd say, hey, buddy, I was with you at rugby last week. I saw you singing in the stadiums, and your hands were up, and you were dancing after we won the match. So don't tell me that this is weird. And in fact, there's something inside of us that whenever we see something extraordinary, it's like we want to in some way express our wonder at what it is we sing. And when we come in together on a Sunday, we're seeing God afresh, we want to express our wonder. And it creates a space for us to open our hearts up to Him so that He can then be able to do business with us in that place. Worship is a, is a powerful place of pastoral care. It's a, when, whenever we, you know, I say to people, if you come to church on a Sunday and engage, if you are part of a small group and come to prayer meeting, you will grow in God. You don't even need the discipleship guide. I'm telling you, it's good, but I'm telling you, you do those things on a regular basis, you will grow. If after five years you haven't grown and matured every single year, come see me, I will give you your tithe money back. We don't know how much you get, so I'm going to guess how much, and I'll give it to you like that. I'm, I'm not guessing a lot. I'm just saying I'll, how much I'll give back to you. Of course, I'm joking, but, but you will grow if you do those three, thing, three things because a shepherd is present when his people are present to minister. And maybe you've come in here with some sin that's gripping your heart, and as you worship God, truly worship Him, God comes in to begin to wrestle you free from that thing in your life. Or maybe you come with fears and anxieties, and God comes to set you free of those things it says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But so often people want, like, they want the human pastor. Well, I want Rob, or I want Noel, or Sahar to come and pastor me. My friends, if your psalm is, Rob is my shepherd, then the next line has got to be, I will want. Because I'm not leading you into green pastures and quiet streams. Only the good shepherd can do that. And don't underestimate how powerful it is when you are here on a Sunday, worshiping God and, and opening yourself fully to Him, 
that He isn't at work in you. I find often on a Sunday, God's coming in and doing a wonderful work of encouragement or adjustment or rebuke in my life. He's shepherding me every single time I come together. And so Paul goes on and he, and he, he speaks about spiritual songs. So what does he mean by that? Well, he means, I think he means that the content and the goal of the songs is something spiritual. And so it means we don't sing Abba songs in church. Like we don't get up and sing Dancing Queen, she was only 17 and whatever it is. Like that's not what we do in church. We sing songs whose, whose uh, the content is about God and about His work of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why, that's what our songs are about. They're always about those, those things. And uh, there are some examples of songs in Scripture. I think on the next slide, there's some, some there. You, you can take note of those if you want to. But the point is that the content must be about God. And the goal is to exalt God and to allow Him to work in our lives as we minister to him. So what does all of this mean? When the rubber hits the road, when your alarm goes off at, depending if you're on the, the morning service, like 6 a.m. in the morning, um, and then 6.05 again, and then 6.03 again, whatever it is, you can go to the next slide, thanks, Kira. Um, what does it actually mean? Or when you've had your Sunday afternoon snooze and you're getting ready to come to the evening service and your alarm goes off at 10 to 6 and you go, oh my goodness, baby, get in the car quickly and you pray for... You pray for God to part the Red Sea of traffic so you can get here in time. Um, just follow my car and you'll get here quickly, okay? But, but what does it mean? It means two things. One is we come prepared. It doesn't say, friends, um, if the church gathers. It says when the church gathers. I love this illustration of a little boy sitting in his window and it is pouring with rain. Um, Sean prayed before the meeting this evening, Lord, don't let anybody not come to church tonight because of the rain. Isn't it amazing in Dubai? I see that the, the newspaper said everyone should stay at home and work at home tomorrow because of the rain. And I, I saw a comment underneath, it's just rain, people, not meteors. Um, but it, it's like this kid's looking out the window and it's pouring with rain. And uh, he's thinking to himself, wow, it's raining so hard. We're not going to go to church today. And his dad comes to his door and knocks on it and says, Billy, get ready. We're leaving in 10 minutes for church. He says, Dad. Have you seen the weather outside? When did you decide we we're going to go to church? And he turns back to Billy and he says, 20 years ago. You see, that's a decision we make. We're committed when the church gathers, not if the church gathers. And so I'm committed to being at church whenever I'm around on a Sunday because God's called me to be a part of that thing. And when I come, I come prepared because I'm a priest. I come prayed up. I don't just like wonder in, am I just, just about made it in. I managed to not swear at that car on the way, so I'm pretty holy. It's good enough for me to come in. No, you're coming in as a priest, the Bible says. In 1 Peter 2.9, we're a kingdom of priests to make known His, His glories. And so we come ready to minister to God. And, and I know these guys, they prepare themselves and they do an amazing job in leading us, but we come in also to minister. They're providing a forum for us to be able to uh, minister to God, and that's what we do. And then we come also as fellow travelers. We're not alone in this journey, friends. We're actually there to help others along the way as well. And it takes me back to that, that, that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Maybe next Sunday you could read through that when you get up in the morning. Read about what love says and say, okay, God, when I come, I want to have a different attitude. I want to have the, the motivation of love when I walk into the hall. I jokingly said maybe we should have one of those bowls of holy water at the door. You know, there's like some churches have those things and you walk past and you dip your finger in and then you tap yourself down. I don't know what the order is, but you make the sign of the cross or whatever. And I'm not being, I'm not mocking. I actually, there's something in it that when you step into that space, you go, 
oh, there's something sacred about this space. Now, there's nothing biblical about dipping your finger in holy water and doing that to you. But there is something biblical about when you open this door and you come here on a Tuesday to visit me, this is just a warehouse space. And there might be all sorts of things going on here. But on a Sunday, this space has been set apart for the church together and something pretty sacred is taking place here. We're going to worship God. And so when you step through that door, don't come in in the middle of worship, kind of wiping your eyes. Oh man, I forgot my coffee, rushing out again, grabbing the barista. Make me a cup of coffee. I don't care if it's closed. I need my coffee now. No, no. You're, chill out. Come in ready. Come in through the door to worship God. And come in thinking, how do I love other people? Does it change the way that I see the rest of the congregation? Are they here to serve my need? Or am I looking for how I can be used to, to bless and minister to them? And then lastly, it's, it's orderly, but also spirit-led spontaneity. So in, in uh, chapter 14 and verse 33, it says that God is not a God of chaos, but of peace. And by a better word there may be harmony. So God doesn't want our meetings to be out of control where the loudest people kind of dominate and set their agenda or you know, one group of people are doing something over here, there, and somebody else is doing something over there, and there's no sense that we together in the same. Of course, God doesn't want that. But equally, He doesn't want us to be so rigid that if, that if the Spirit of God wants to do something, He's got no room to do it. I can remember years ago saying to God, God, we don't see enough demon manifestations in church. We don't. I'm right, eh? Who agrees with me? Like, like there are demons around. You know there's still demons, eh? And so it wasn't like all the demons, like, left after Jesus went to heaven. They're around. I've played plenty of times um, for people to be delivered from the power of demons. And so I said to God, like, there must be people that have demonic strongholds in their life or unbelievers coming in with um, de demons um, at work in them or suffering out of demon bondage. Lord, we need to see people being set free. I want, I want power and count to take place. I say that, and not three weeks after that I say that thing, is a lady in, on this side over here just starts screaming and writhing around on the, on the ground during worship. And I go, okay, thank you, Lord. And, and we just, we went across, we prayed for her, we took authority over the demon, and we, we, um, we ministered to her there so she could be set free of it. My point is, Spirit of God, come and do what you want to do. Like, there's still order. It's not chaos. The elders are responsible for making sure that we're safe in this place. Like, we're not going to just let anybody come in here and minister and release stuff that is kind of off the wall, but equally, we, we don't want to block and hinder what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our meetings. And so, let me land with just a quick picture of what our liturgy looks like and why we do it. So, on a Sunday when we get together, you come in ready, and, um, and then whoever's emceeing the meeting, whether it's one of the elders or their wives or some other, other leader that might be doing it, like Noel did tonight, they want you to become aware and to focus. And that's why it's so super helpful if you arrive on time so that you can be a part of that process where you actually are engaging, this is what we're doing now, into worship. You know, I found that the easiest way if you find you arrive late all the time to arrive on time is to leave earlier. That, that's, that normally helps. That, that's incredible, eh? You can, you can write that down if you want. So then after the welcome, we get to the worship, and the worship is in the singing of songs. We have gifted musicians that lead us, amazing um, artists that write the lyrics and, um, and a part of that time is also the gifts that flow like I've spoken about already giving is a part of our worship of God as, as we did this evening um, and then um, the Lord's table we often celebrate that together as well when we, uh, during worship it's, it's, a, it's an act of worship 
Um, then the word comes, the preaching of the word, and hopefully revelation, not just head knowledge, but, but the word dropping into our hearts and producing something. And then after that, we respond to the word. And there's various ways that we can respond. One is in song, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because they're going to lead us now in a last song. Um, and so sometimes we can, part of our response to God at the end of the preach is we, we sing. And we, that during that time, you are making certain commitments to God. You might say, it might be the lyrics of the song that do it for you. And, and you, like, almost those lyrics become your prayer. It might be something that you say to God during that time. That's like, God, you know what has been going on in my heart while the preach was happening. And, and I'm asking you to make an adjustment in me or help me, not just now, but, but increasingly through this weekend and the weeks to understand and live out my role more productively as a priest before you. We might respond in prayer. We often have the ministry team up front here or the elders. And so after the meeting, you can come and get prayer from somebody up front. And we will sometimes respond through the breaking of bread, which in a moment I'm going to ask Noel to lead us in because that's how we're going to respond tonight. One last part of our liturgy that I land with is just fellowship. Um, we saw that in, in Acts chapter 2 that one of the parts of our being together is fellowship. And what happens is when when we have the meeting the way it is now, you get to see the back of somebody's head for quite a long time. So if somebody's sitting in front of you with a really good-looking head, why don't you just pat them on the back and say, really nice-looking head, thanks so much for, for bringing it to the meeting today. But, but we don't want to just have fellowship with the back of someone's head. And so some of it will take place in the conversations I saw after the meeting today, people talking and then sitting down and praying for each other. But a lot of it actually will go beyond the walls of this place, won't it? Maybe it's on a Sunday night you, agree, you, you go have dinner with somebody. Maybe you have dinner or late lunch together before you come together to the meeting. But God actually wants us to, um, to recognize that our fellowship is part of the worship that with each other. It extends beyond these walls. It's, it's not okay for us to come in on a Sunday and out on a Sunday. And in on a Sunday and out on a Sunday without ever building relationships or any substance with other people. And I know... It's easier to do it that way. But when we start to think of this is actually a part of what it means to worship corporately is to fellowship, it'll change the way 